Okay, starting now. Um, so yes, uh, the database aspect of the Open Sangha Foundation is is the major part of it. What it will allow is for um, very little um, monitoring or very little um, human input from the OCF side that um, people can log in, join, and then peruse through all of the various kinds of people that we have. In other words, we have resources, we have uh, teachers that are that would be on call, um, watch, uh, facilities, all of that kind of stuff. And so people can search on things. But one of the ways to do it is by zip code so that you right. can find all of the people who members of this um, uh, uh, website that are in your in your zip code. That will help facilitate because a lot of people have, uh, you know, there's Dama, Dama, Dama all over the Internet. But yeah. when people get into practice, what we yeah. need is Sangha. We need some yeah. friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and so connecting friends, yeah. uh, uh, retreat places can put their retreat schedules in and people can uh, sign up for the uh, retreats right on our website. It's a great idea. It's so true. People need to. People need other people to reflect off of and, and learn from and see what they're doing wrong and get advice and just know that even getting uh, comfort sometimes from other people. Mm -hmm. One of the things that this website is intending to promote is connections where um, we can begin to take the money out of the Dhamma. Western mm -hmm. Buddhism got started way back and way back when. I think that in fact we can't even blame Jack Cornfield for it because Alan Watts was before yeah. him and Alan Watts was making money off the Dhamma. So making right. money off the Dhamma goes way, way back. It may go back all the way to Emerson and Thoreau. Right. Yeah. Back in the 1830s. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, but uh, Western psychology or Western Buddhism, rather, has um, uh, become money-fied. Yeah. People have to yeah. pay for the retreats. Yeah. So the idea um, or the scenario would be that someone's interested in the Dhamma, they come onto the um, uh, the website, they check it out and find that there's a Thai temple that's close by, and they watch the videos to show how to go to a temple. They go in just like Kishan is getting involved with uh, um, uh, the Hinsdale Wat, making some friends there. Eventually, he will move in. Yeah, right. Okay, after he moves in, then there will be opportunity, or even before he moves in, there will be opportunity to start new meditation classes done in natural English. And so the whole community around will do that. And so now we can start to do weekend retreats for free. That if there are Fantastic. 500 watts in the United States and each one of them does a free weekend retreat, then that means that we're... Uh, Times That's like 6,000 or so uh, retreats a year with somewhere between 10 and maybe 100 people in the retreats. Right. Yeah. And they're all free. 
yeah. the Thai people, the Asian people uh, on a weekend retreat, they would be happy to just bring, you know, extra food on, on Saturday morning and on Sunday morning. On Sunday, they probably already bring it up. I think that most of the food that's brought to temples on, on Sundays is thrown out or mm. taken back home. So they tend to be quite generous with it. And so having right. a retreat going and they know it, they'll bring extra food. Right. And so a place on the floor, good friendship at the retreat, um, all done free of charge, free food. And that's the way that the Dhamma will really be spread. Right. That uh, using the psychology model of the client pays the psychologist always keeps it in that one up one down position sure hierarchical client the client pays the psychologist the psychologist uh talks the client expects because of him paying money that he gets good value out of his time with the therapist and 10 years later nobody's any better off and it's the same thing that it was for the past right. 10 years right. the client pays the therapist the therapist talks and the client goes home expecting something to happen that never does right. but within the other model uh the student starts off seeing the teacher as some guru or whatever and if the guru is a really good guru he stops being a guru and starts being a good friend and now right. the client doesn't have a guru anymore he's got a good dhamma friend we right. call that in the pali the name for it is kaliametta kaliametta is uh uh the one who uh is giving and receiving metta with you that's that's a a, a term of of endearment and friendship sure and that's what it's all about the teaching of the buddha is all about friendship it is not about money mm. it's not about writing books and getting famous <laughs> right right yeah that's nice to hear yeah. it's refreshing right. well thank you yes i think it's a good idea everybody who hears the idea thinks that it's a really good idea. It is. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, it's we're still getting the registration stuff done. So don't try to register or, or anything. That's not complete. Anything that you do probably won't get into the database yet. But uh, within the next week or so, that will be finished. And then we can start letting people sign up. We've already got a database of about 500, 550 or something. Because of um, basically me, me dumping my email file. <laughs> <laughs> That's where a lot of it came from. Right. That's great. So, um, yeah, then we'll we'll say we'll send out an email to all of those announcing the launch. Nice. Very nice. So if you've got any t uh, uh, web skills or uh, anything like that, I would uh, invite you to um, come join us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I do. I was listening to you guys chat and I was like, wow, you guys are so far ahead of me with your coding. I have only been coding in this web bait or this database of, of the WordPress site for less than a month. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes, less than a month. However, I knew SQL 40 years ago. Right. 
and other languages like uh, uh, Snowball, Algol. So basically what I'm learning is the syntax. What I want to do, I already know exactly what to do. I'm, I've been a designer, not okay. just a designer. In fact, they didn't have databases then. They had big systems that ran on big computers for, um, uh, and they didn't have the internet, but they certainly had big sophisticated systems back then. So uh, taking it out of the Fortran or the COBOL or whatever like that and putting it into PHP, uh, uh, yeah, PHP and HTML, it's just a matter of changing. Um, here's, here's the point, I guess is the way to say it, is, is that those people who know five or six languages can pick up a seventh language just by with the intention of picking it up. Right, 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 yes. OK, yeah. but one yeah. what a person who knows only one language, yeah. their second language is a struggle. If it's they're tough. Adult. Yeah, 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 definitely. Can I ask you so in a kind of way, way it's learning how to learn, <laughs> right? Right. Learning how to learn. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they don't have that the same pattern recognition that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because this is I wasn't even going to ask this, but like, like, how do you, like, it's an interesting thing where you're both like totally satisfied, right? And at the uh -huh. same time, have a desire to make things happen and create and spread, spread the word, so to speak. Okay. Can you talk to me about that? Like, I think it's great, but it's, it's funny because in my regular, you know, life, I find that sort of tricky to navigate sometimes. All right. Here's the point that most of the Western people in Western Buddhism, uh, they make a big mistake. Uh, that in fact, in Vajrayana or in the Tibetan uh, versions of it, <laughs> they say that the cause of suffering is through attachment. Okay. Wanting something, caring about it, and that kind of thing. And that is strictly wrong. That the cause of suffering is a threefold thing, greed, ill will, and ignorance. And that the ignorance is the primary thing. That in fact, getting a good education about how your own mind works is going to show you that many of the greeds that you have are inappropriate causing dukkha. And most of the ill will that you have is also causing you dukkha. Right. But right. The, but there are suttas. In fact, one of the suttas that just slams the door on all of that is uh, the sutta by the name of One Fortunate Attachment. It's sutta number 131 in the Majjhima Nikaya, followed by 132, 3, 4, and 5. I think that there's five suttas in this plane. Okay. And One Fortunate Attachment would be attaching to the here now. Okay, so what that means is, is that I'm learning to code in uh, HTML and PHP so fast is because I'm not afraid of them. Right. I'm not afraid and I'm not afraid to make mistakes. Right. You, you, you code, you make a mistake, you fix it and you make more mistakes and you fix it. And that's how we learn. Right. But in our society, People are afraid to make mistakes. They're feeling that they're going to get punished if they make a mistake. And so they're very slow to learn. Right. Rather than 
jump in, make a mistake, fix it. Jump in again, make right. another mistake, fix it. Jump in again, make another mistake, fix it. Right. Jump in again with great glee. Yeah, another yeah. mistake. I can fix that too. Okay. That's the way is right. that you enjoy what you're doing and that there is certain amount of attachment there, but the attachment is wholesome. Right. The outcomes of being wholesome, which right. means success. If you attach right. to wholesome things, then you will have success. And if you attach to unwholesome things, you're going to have dissatisfaction, even if you have success. Right. But generally, we have more dissatisfaction than success. Yeah. Yeah. So it is like this. It's the, the same ignorance. heroic. Right. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's like the same kind of like heroic attitude that you have towards mindfulness, right? Like you catching, catching the unwholesome thoughts and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the sort of glee of finding them, right? Uh-huh, exactly. And, but I wouldn't use the word hero, but I don't mind you using it. You're using it in a different kind of way. I would say noble. But noble. yeah, hero, yeah, heroic. That works. Yeah. You have yeah. a hero's attitude. Right. Right. I run this mind. I'm the boss here. <laughs> right. But how many people do you hear can say that? Not many. Not many. Not many. No, no. not many are in control of their mind. No, no. I mean, I'm definitely a work in progress myself, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things to figure out is, is that the mind is a tool. Yeah. And that our feelings are the benefit of using the tool. Right. However, most people think that they are their mind and that they are the body and that they are their feelings. Right. Like, for instance, in our language, people will say, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm tired, right. or, or better still, more than likely, they'll say, I'm not angry. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in the, the point then is, is that that's just right. a mile, but they're making the statement is, is that the self, it becomes whatever the feelings are. The right. self becomes whatever the body is. The self becomes whatever the thoughts so when people have a thoughts, they're my thoughts rather than just a thought. In fact, very few people have original thoughts. Almost every thought that everybody has, they've already had that thought before, and it wasn't original when they got it. Right. <laughs> got it from someone else. Right. So mommy right. says something when I'm four years old, I go around thinking about that my whole life. Is those thoughts really mine? Because <laughs> right. I didn't right. get them. Okay, there, there weren't mommy's thoughts either. They were just thoughts. Right, right. So this, uh, this re, uh, let us say, rearranging things so that we do not identify with things is the freedom. Because normally we ignorantly identify with things. We ignorantly want and we ignorantly don't like things. But when we have the ability to see what's going on, take that ignorant phase out of it, then we can recognize several things. One, I am not my feelings. Number two, feelings are manipulated. Number three, if I learn the correct manipulations, I can manipulate how I feel so that I feel good 
because if I don't know how to manipulate my feelings, I'm going to wind up in, uh, let us say, a natural state uh, in dukkha. It's right. very much like that our instincts, most people live by instinct, and the and instincts are very much like an airliner's automatic pilot. We have to have a captain on board. Right. You can't let the automatic pilot <laughs> run the show. Okay. Right, right. Instincts are not a good uh, captain, but they make the job or the life of the captain a lot easier. For instance, right. after takeoff and after everything is cleared, the captain can turn the autopilot on and, and take a rest. Right. But if uh, the air traffic controllers call him on the radio and say, hey, you've got another plane in the air close to you, automatic pilot's not going to be able to do anything about that. Right. Right. The automatic pilot is going to just run right into it. And so that's the, uh, the the instincts that two instinctual people run into each other. And they call that not an accident. They call it an argument. Right, right, right. Two ignorant people. If one of them is wise, you're not going to argue. So but when is, you have two ignorant people. <laughs> right, right, right. So is, when people talk about like waking up, is waking up the uh, pilot taking control again? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Then, in fact, the pilot may be asleep. He needs to wake up. Right. Right. That's the issue. It's not just the autopilot. It's the pilot himself is asleep. Right. The pilot's yeah. asleep. And the yeah. automatic pilot is just running right into that mountain or right, right. into that uh, storm. Is or there right like into a, that other plane. Go is ahead. there... With waking up, is there like an actual perceptual shift? Mm -hmm. There is. Yes. Okay. The perceptual shift is out. You see, there are six senses. The eyes, the ears, uh, taste, smell, touch. With touch, there's also more to it. In, in fact, it, uh, the touch is extraordinarily complicated. It's the one... Do you know that you have about as many neurons in your uh, index fingertip as you have in an eyeball? About the mm. same size. And the answer to that is yes. I can find, I, you know, jewelers and other people, they can do right. very fine things right. with their fingers. Right. Then, in fact, your eyeballs cannot play a violin. <laughs> but your hands can. Right. And look at the intricacies there. Okay, so that's one of the things. Now, so we have eyes, ears, and by the way, the ear is also extraordinarily complicated. Yeah. Won't go into the physiology there. But then we have that, that last item, the eye, the ear, the touch, the taste, um, and the um, um, uh, smell. The sixth one is where we spend almost all of our time in the mind, thinking, daydreaming, conceptualizing farting around, <laughs> monkey mind, okay? Right. And that what waking up is, what is sati, is to recognize or to become aware of the other senses. Right. Now, the other senses are all in the present moment, that your eyes cannot see something that passed by three years ago. Right. But if the eye saw it, it records that in the memory, and now the memory will replay that that the eye saw three years ago, but not very well. Right. The eye that sees it now is a whole lot better image than the eye, than the memory of the uh, 
the, the scene. A really easy and clear example of that, and the students don't like it when they hear it. You've got probably a laptop, and on that laptop, you probably have a, a, a movie, or maybe you're watching a, a YouTube video or something like that. Okay, so there's a movie there. When you watch it, after you finish watching it, the, the computer still remembers every pixel. It remembers every audio sound. It doesn't understand any of the audio, but it remembers all the music. It remembers all the audio. It remembers every pixel of every frame. You watched it. You're a human. Why can't you remember right. every pixel and every frame of that movie? You can't right. do it. Right. So computers are a whole lot better memory than we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's in fact, that's the whole reason for having computers. Right. So you right. Can store information and retrieve it because the human mind's not going to be able to store that information and retrieve it very well. Right. Right. All right. right. So with that, why do we as a human race spend so much time farting around in a memory base inside the mind that mm. is broken? Right. When right. we can get new data right in the present moment. All of this flood of sights and sounds and touch and taste and everything is just coming in as a flood. And here we are not paying any attention to it because we're wrapped up with some broken memory. Right, right. Oh, so what is waking up is making that shift out of the mind into the present moment of the senses. That's what waking up is, the sati. OK, so once you wake up, then you can say, wait a minute. Now I can investigate. What happened a half a second or two or five seconds ago in the mind just before it woke up, because there's a, the mind has it kind of a there's a broad now. Right. And sure. The broad now is about three or four seconds. The immediate now is about a tenth of a second. And so if we can think of it in the broad now, we wake up into the broad now and you can see over over a, a minute, you know, a couple of seconds, you could see the we the, the leaves of the tree waving back and forth. You can see that you can see my arm waving back and forth like mm -hmm. that. That's in the present moment. All right. But do you remember what my hand looked like when it was waving back and forth? Do you have it? Deep? Not perfectly. I've got a, no. a, a yeah, vague right. impression. Okay, so vague impressions are what we remember. Yeah. Where the reality is vivid. Right, right. So the whole teaching of the Buddha is to wake up and be in the present moment. Then, in fact, that is that, that sutta, the one fortunate attachment, is to attach to being in the moment rather than attaching to what bad... Uh, uh, poor memory systems that we have, and we are really, really strongly attached to our memories. Right, right. And we're and also attached uh, strongly to the future that we're going to build out of those right. memories. So right. we use right. the past to construct a future, and that's what people get attached to, the past and the future. Right. But what's worthy of being attached to is the present moment, right here, right, right. now. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so that's what waking up is, is coming into the here now. Right. Waking up is uh, remembering to take a deep breath. Right. Right. Okay, because if you can remember to take a deep in-breath, 
then the mind has to tell the body to take the deep end breath. And so you're actually changing, you're training the mind as well as you're training the body. Right, right. Hmm. So now we can understand more about why the Satipatthana is set up the way that it is, because we need to train the body. We need to train the mind in the sense of the mind states. We need to train the mind in the sense of what the thoughts are and what's happening in the mind, as well as the mental states. And then ultimately, we learn to control and manage the feelings so that we can feel the way that we want to feel. Right. Right. Especially feeling the way that we want to feel when we fail. Hot diggity dog, I failed again. Let's go right. see what that error is, is right. the attitude. Right. Rather right. than, oh no, the program doesn't work, I broke it. <laughs> so that's the sati again. Well, the sati is, I, I, I see that error, yeah, we can fix it. Yeah. And the ordinary mind is, I made a mistake, I'm not supposed to make a mistake, I hope I don't get caught making a mistake. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. to where mistakes become our friend right so most people attach to you're not supposed to make mistakes they make a rule about it and they attach to that what we're attaching to instead is the mistake itself is a training tool it's a teacher totally. yeah it's, it's my the growth friend. mindset right the growth mindset mm-hmm. basically tell, tell me more about the growth mindset the growth mindset, just like growth, you know, growth, growth. Mindset, yeah, okay. yeah. Just you know, any we're here to learn. Basically, we're here. You know, every every mistake is no. Data. We're not here to learn. We're right. just here, and the self-preservation right. instinct wants to keep us here. Right. But if you die three hundred years from now, nobody cares. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> you're not here to do anything. In fact, all of the right. people who were here to do anything are wound up uh, after they're dead uh, being lied about in history books. Totally. Yeah. 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 And sometimes the lies they tell are making the person look very, very poor class. And in fact, his whole point in life was to do, you know, he had an intention. He did what he wanted to do. Hitler is right. a good example of that. He wanted to right. have a war. And now look at the opinion right. people have. What do you right. think that people are going to have the opinion of Putin three or five years from now when he's dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. here's another way of looking at that. Instead of being here to do something, we're here to merely enjoy being here while it lasts without a care in the world about what anything's in any history books, because after Putin's dead, he won't be able to read the history book. Right, right. So who cares about what's in the history book? And I hear that about politicians all the time. Oh, they want to leave a legacy. Oh, they want to be remembered for doing something good in the government. Right. Right. So here they are screwing up a government just so that they can paint their name on the screw up. Right. <laughs> It's mine again. But when we don't see anything as mine, the body is not mine, the feelings are not mine, the mind is not mine, the thoughts are not mine. I'm just watching. Except that even the observer is not me, just the observation. Hmm. So the walking does not require a walker. Right. 
the walk. There is no walker, but the walking be. The thinking is there, but there's no me to do the thinking. The mind is doing that, but I am not the mind. The mind is not mind. It's just the mind that in fact, the me is only a mental concept of the mind. Now, is is this so this last step you just made there is the step that I hear and like I, I hear it, but I haven't clicked with it uh, on an experiential level yet. Ah, here's the way to do that. I think that this is a major problem in the way that it's discussed in Western Buddhism. And here's the actual problem. The word anatta does not mean no self, nor non-self, nor anything like that. That what anatta actually is referring to is atmos, not atom. So the Greek can help us out with this because the Greek uh, is an Indo-European language. All right. So atom means not cuttable, an atom. Okay, like a hydrogen atom. But when they named the hydrogen element an atom, they were wrong. <laughs> right. Why? Right. They didn't really... Because the atom is splittable. Right. It's right. not a unit. Right. Okay. It can be cut up. But the word anatta is, uh, you've heard the name, surely you have, of Mahatma Gandhi. Of course. Of course. Maha, okay. So Mahat Mahaatta is how the, the name breaks down. Mahaatta, which actually means great soul. It doesn't mean great self. Right, right. But right. When, when the Pali was translated into English, to, it was done by Catholics. Right. The Pali wasn't translated into English by Buddhists. It was translated by Catholics. So naturally, they're going to run across and see this thing says there's no soul. We got to change that because we right. know there is a soul. And so they, right. they chose to use the word self. Well, you know, the word self has all kinds of different uses, like full self driving. There's no right. self in a car. Right, right. Okay, so we can say the car itself in a different way then. So we need to look at the word selfishness. Because that's more of the issue. Because we get selfish from time to time, but we know, or through investigation, we can figure out that there really is no soul. Mm -hmm. The soul is what the Catholics and the Baptists and all the Christians make all of their money off of. Right. Okay? That so you've got an eternal soul and God's going to beat the tar out of it. Right. When he gets a hold of it, so you got to pay us some money so that we can do something and then <laughs> right. but go. <laughs> right, right. Got to put some money in the plate. You got to have an indulgence or two. We need a big, big basilica, and you're going to go to hell if we don't right. get it. <laughs> right, right. All right. So the reality is, is that there really is no soul. Now the atheists believe that upon the breakup of the body the existing self, the existing soul, the existing being is annihilated. So atheism is annihilationism. The Buddha is not annihilationist. Why? 
because that self with the soul is not doesn't die upon the breakup of the body. It dies when you go to sleep. It dies when you hit your finger with a with a hammer, and a brand new self is born. Right. The birth and death and birth and death of the self is very common. You could also say that on the arisal of the self-preservation instinct is the arisal of the self. Right. Okay. That the, uh, in fact, you could go so far as to say that the uh, that the self-preservation uh, instinct is wrongly labeled. That they would have been more correct if they had said organ organism preservation instinct. Right. It's the organism that's trying. Well, see, you are an organism. But there's no Mike in there anywhere. Mike is just a word that stuck onto the organism. There's no me in there anywhere. But sometimes the organism Mike has feelings that he wants to not have. Or that are unwanted, they're unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. And so we say in our language, I am feeling bad. Mm-hmm. So we're no, it's just the organisms that's feeling bad. Right. Bad feelings right. of the organism. Okay. So instead of looking at it from that perspective, the better way of looking at it is that self arises when there is selfishness. The selfishness is what the Western Buddhism should be looking at. Neither a soul nor a, a, a non-existent self that pops up and then leaves. Right. But in fact, selfishness pops up and then leaves. Right. Right. Okay. So now we're understanding that a lot of the problem that Western Buddhism has is because of bad translations. Right. Right. If, if, they, if they had translated it to no soul, then almost all of the conversations about no self would have just disappeared. Right, right. The word self right. is so complicated that you can say all kinds of things about it, but a soul right. has the quality of perpetuating and lasting beyond death. Right, right. Okay, and that many of them, in fact, the old Hindus and Christians today will mistake consciousness for me, right, thinking right. that I will be reborn into some future existence. Well, let's get really, really easy about it. Let us say instead of this body breaking up and a new body is reborn, let us just say that you left your house and went to Chicago. When you go to Chicago, you're in a completely different world, a completely different environment, and that um, the consciousness is going to be completely different. Right. So the consciousness that you have, uh, let us say that somebody robbed a bank in South Carolina and they moved to Alabama or something like that. And to now they're free for a while until the past catches up with them, but maybe it won't. Right. Then, it, then right. in fact, he's more likely to be arrested in Alabama for, for doing something wrong in Alabama than the South Carolina people to come get him in Alabama. Right. All right. If we understand it from that perspective, then we can see that in fact the consciousness that we have is dependently arising. Right. So it's not the same person that was in South Carolina that robbed the bank. That person is dead now. Right. And the new person is in Alabama. 
and it's not the same. The consciousness are different. Everything that he sees is different. Okay, this is what we mean in the sense that um, our consciousness is dependently arising. <clears throat> that uh, the way that reincarnation is taught isn't even possible. Right. Why? Because they say that the new person has to experience the results of good and past actions of the previous life. Right. What evidence do you have of that? At Zero. best, we can say the moment of birth is the only thing that determines your past because mm -hmm. your past determines, without you having anything to say about it, when you were born, who your parents were, um, and the location that you were born in. So mm -hmm. if the parents are wealthy and he's the king, et cetera, then, uh, then your birth will determine right. a lot about you. Sure. But after the child is born, what influence could it possibly be from the past life? Right. Or what possibility could there be in a soul that arrives in heaven to be judged by God is could not possibly be the same guy that died. Right. Why? Because the guy that died was not possibly the same guy that was when he was 10 years old or right. when we were 15. Right. We're constantly changing and things are going right. to continue to change. Right. And reincarnation is all about the the uh, the old stuff stays. It doesn't die. Right. And religions need to teach that because then people will feel bad about the past. Right, right. The past right. is dangerous. I'm going to get caught up with and I'm going to be punished for things that happened in the past. Right. And we live our lives like that in this particular society. And right. a much better way to live is in the present moment to wake up and come out of the past and be here now. Because right. right now, right here, it's not dangerous. Right. But all the past dangers that you've ever had are there in your mind. All you have to do is just numerate them one off after another, and you'll start sure. to feel as if you're in danger. Right. Where, in fact, there's no danger here. So right. waking up to coming into the here now will actually take us out of danger so that we can right. feel comfortable. We can feel safe and secure. Thinking about the past is dangerous. Thinking about the future is dangerous. But thinking about what we're doing right now is okay. Right. Now, if I had the thought, oh, I've got to get this uh, uh, page running because I need it for the database, then I'll feel bad. But if I say, oh, I'm, re I'm repairing this broken page right now, then I can feel good. Right. But if I have thoughts about it in the future, oh, I've got to get it done. Now I'm putting pressure on myself. I'm bringing the danger in. Well, what if I don't get it done? And the reality is, oh, if I don't get it done, I'll have fun doing it. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. everything about waking up, this is a long discussion we're having about what does it mean for sati, but everybody should yeah. understand it. Yeah. Is to remember to come out of our past thinking, to remember to come out of our daydreams. This happens all the time. A good example is in the, uh, the primary school classroom. Their little Johnny is sitting in the back of the class. He may be sitting in the middle. He could have been sitting at the front of the class. My family and everybody knew it in every school that I went to. They made sure that every class that I had, I sat at the front of the class. 
using the using the excuse of well i'm deaf and i can't hear a damn thing especially from the back of the room so i was always at the front i generally don't know what was happening in the back of the class <laughs> but the point is is that the guy can even be sitting in the front of the class and still looking out the window daydreaming and not thinking about what the teacher sure. is talking about and then the teacher what does she do she says oh johnny Pay attention. Stop daydreaming. Okay. Well, she was actually giving him a Dhamma lesson right then. Right, right. Yeah, to stop daydreaming, stop coming out and pay attention to what's happening. We're in class now. The teacher is teaching. Right. Pay attention. This is what's happening right now. Whatever you were daydreaming about, it didn't happen. You may be planning about what you're going to do when school gets out. And you may not be able to do that because you're in the principal's office at that time because you weren't paying attention in class. So we don't know what the future is going to be. So why plan for it? It's better to pay attention to what's happening right now. Wow. So that's what we attach to is this present moment to be here now is, a, is just about all we need to do is to wake up and come into the present moment. Because the present moment is not dangerous. Daydreaming, dangerous. <laughs> right. Right. And if you were like to expand on like, so I understand the the present momentness of it, but does that how does that help the help someone progress on the path? Like, does that? mean that eventually there you... there really is no progression on the path right right and in fact the word path is a bad translation mm. it would have been better translated as the eightfold noble way right it would be even more better translated eightfold noble method right and what is the method to wake up to look at what you're doing to make a change and to congratulate yourself. That's the Eightfold Noble Method. Mm -hmm. It's not a path. When we hear the word path, we think of a destination, like a footpath right. or um, an animal path, sure. a destination. So if the intention is to wake up or let us say to open the door to a pleasant life, that door is not miles away from here with a path to it. The door is right here, right now. All we have to do is to open the door right here, right now. And the key is to remember to look at what we're doing, turn that key, make a change, and open the door. Over and over and over again, it always happens right here, right now. There is no possibility of progress but there is a whole lot of probability of being able to come back into the here now more often. Right. Because we're developing the skill of remembering to come into the present moment more often. And is Anapadasati just the the actual practice of that? Yes. Yeah. To be in the here now with the body. Right by watching the breath, by uh, taking long, deep breaths, by relaxing the body, and by putting the body at rest and at ease. Those are the four items of the uh, uh, Satipatthana for the Kaya Nupasana, or the body. Right. And then with the Vedana, 
even though it's the next section, let's postpone that for a minute and go to the chitta, which is in fact, uh, step number nine of Anapanasati is exactly that, to investigate the states of mind, to look at what the mind is doing and the states that it's in. And this is really uh, highly uh, com uh, complementary with the Satipatthana Sutta, where it's stated about what states of mind do you have? Is your mind exalted? Is it tired? Is it ordinary? Is it free? Is it clouded? Okay. And so uh, in, the, in the seven factors of enlightenment, unremitting investigation of the mental states. Okay. And then how do we change the mental states is by gladdening the mental states, brightening the mind. And we can do that with thoughts. But let's look at it in the sense that uh, uh, the body conditions the feeling, the mind, and the mind's thoughts. The feelings condition the body, the mind's uh, conditions, and the mind's thoughts. The mind state will condition how we feel, it will condition the body, and it will condition what we thought. So if you're in a very good mood and, and grandma comes up, more than likely, the thought is, oh, grandma's here. If you're in a really terrible mood and grandma comes up, then the thoughts will be, oh, granny's here. Okay. So that's uh, these things condition one another. Right. This is, this is to our great disadvantage in the ignorance because we don't know it. But it's greatly to our advantage when we can see it. Right. Because you can see that oh, all I have to do is to change my thoughts that will condition my mind. I can start watching my breath and letting the uh, uh, letting the breath condition the body so that the body relaxes. And now that the mind is relaxed and the body is relaxed, now we can work on both of those to get the feelings to be safe, secure, comfortable and relaxed. But we have to deal it, deal with it, with the mind and the body first. The mind and the body, uh, we have to control the mind to be able to control the breathing, and then the controlling breathing helps uh, relax the body, and then we can let the feelings relax along with it. So another possibility, as an example here, is is that if you're going to practice in seclusion it's important to go find a safe place. Mm -hmm. The Buddha recommends go to the forest, go to the yeah. foot of a tree, go to an empty hut, go to a pile of straw. Okay, those are kind of reference to safe places. Right. As a counterexample, you wouldn't want to go to the local police station or city hall to practice right. meditation. Right. You wouldn't want right. to go to a prison to practice right. meditation. In fact, you may not even want to go to a church to practice right. meditation. It could be really dangerous there. <laughs> okay, so we go to a safe place to practice. If the body is in a safe place, that's going to help us feel safe. If the body is in a dangerous place, it's going to be hard to feel safe and secure unless you're well-skilled. So we want to practice the skill of being safe by having the body in a safe place. And then we can start to think about things like everything's okay. There's no problem. Or if you really want to play with it, hey, there's no alligators here. There's no crocodiles. Right. The, mo the, the, okay. the mob boss isn't here. The, the Russian mafia doesn't know me. The SWAT team 
is not here. Everything is okay. All of the really big possible dangers are not here. Why can't I relax? Well, the answer to that is because I'm thinking about a little problem and I can't relax. Well, throw that little problem out. The reality is no crocodiles, no cobras, no pythons, no uh, caiman, no gorillas. Nothing is here. We're safe. So let us feel safe. Now, this is the way to practice. Go ahead. Oh, and how does that relate to to anatta? Well, it relates to anatta in the sense of, oh, I've got a problem. Right. Okay. An example would be, let us say, global warming or maybe climate change. My climate is changing and it's a problem. Right, right. But climate change, oh, I can't do anything about that. That's not my business. And now I'm okay. So I think about global warming and I feel bad. Or I think about global warming, that's not my problem. That I'm going, that in fact, what's going to happen is, is that I'm going to become able to train myself in the present moment to feel really comfortable when it's hot. Then I can train myself to when, when uh, later, I can set it be comfortable when it gets even hotter. Right. So heat is not the issue. I can't not change the heat out there, but I can change how I feel about the heat. Right. Right. So global warming is not my problem. Right. Ah, the government is not my problem. Right. Ah, the economy is not my problem. Look how many people make themselves miserable by think that they own the economy and right. they want to fix it. <laughs> right. Right. All every banker feels miserable because he thinks that he owns the place. Right. 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 That in fact, you could say that that was the biggest problem that Donald Trump had. That he thought because he was president that he could run the place and because he could run the place, he owns the place. Right. Mr. Trump, you don't own the presidency. You don't right. own the White House. You don't own all of those documents you took with you. Can't you get that through your little <laughs> selfishness? Right. Right. The selfishness is that it's mine. Right. And not selfishness is not mine. And so anytime that you say that this is yours or this is mine, more than likely you're in a protective mode. Right. And you're in suffering when you think it's mine. So here's an example of that. Brother comes onto the porch and says, oh, can I borrow $500? Now, the first thing that somebody says to themselves is $500. That's a lot of money. I don't know if I can give that away or not. And then we say no. And two people are unhappy. Right. Okay, second scenario, the guy walks in, uh, brother or someone you know, walks up and says, hey, I, I nearly need $500, can you loan it to me? The answer is sure. And now two people feel good. I feel wealthy enough to give him $500. And he needs it, so he's going to take it. Yeah. That in fact, this exact thing happened just, just a couple of days within. Okay, here's, here's the story. Tam's daughter, uh, Ja, is about 20 years old. She's new kid on the block. 20-year-olds, they don't know nothing. And so she gets a call from someone who says that they're a police and that she's in trouble and that she has to cough up money. And so she did cough up the money because she was afraid. She gets another call from the same guy saying, that wasn't enough. You got to cough up with money again. 
And so she paid him. But then she told her mom about what happened. And her mom got me involved to find out that this guy, you know, if it were real and she was wise, then when that cop called and says, I need your money, you you could say, I'll meet you in your office right, at the police right. station. Right. You got to prove to me that you've got an office in the police station, at least a desk. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have one, then you're not a cop. Yeah, and yeah. she didn't. She she wasn't wise enough to figure that out. So here she yeah. out now is out fifty thousand bots, about fifteen hundred dollars. And when I heard that, I says, "Oh, Ja, I'll give you that money. Your birthday is you know is on the sixteenth, which is this this week coming up. Let's see when is it." Yeah, today's 15th, 16th is tomorrow. So I said, I'm going to give you 50,000 baht for your birthday. And a great big smile comes on her face. And I've got a big smile, too, because I know that I can give her $1,500. I can give her 50,000 baht. No sweat. It's only just a number on some page in the bank. Wow. And so she's very happy to get that for, uh, for a birthday present. So it's the same. It's basically the same thing. Right. If she, if I had heard all oh, that she had been ripped off for fifty thousand baht, then I could have chosen to feel bad with her and commiserate. All oh, those those uh, false cops. Oh, they're a bunch of thieves. Oh, blah blah blah. But I chose to take the happy path right. to fix it. Okay. So that's the thing. The selfishness. She's selfish because she lost the money. I'm selfish because she lost the money. Or I can stop my selfishness and become altruistic and help the kid out. And now she's all smiles and all everything. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. Can I can I ask you like a do you do you do you even practice anymore at this stage? I play. Right. Okay. Practice is for piano students who don't know how to give a public performance. Right. Once you've given a public performance 10,000 times, how much practice do you need? Mm -hmm. That in fact, here's a, here's an alternate to that as an introduction. Have you ever heard of Arthur Rubenstein? Sure. Of course. Okay. All right. So exactly. He's dead now, you know? Yeah. He'd been dead for years, many, many years. Okay. But when he was in his 90s, they gave him an interview. I guess it was the New York Times or maybe uh, 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 the New Yorker or, or something, you know, one of those big magazines or something. And they, in that interview, they asked him, Do you practice? Well, here's a guy who's been on the stage all over the world. He probably knows uh, and can sit down and, 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 and rattle off any concerto that's played in the concert hall. And his answer was, if I miss one day of practice, I'll know it. If I miss one, if two days of practice, the housekeeper will know it. If I miss three days of practice, the dog will know it. <laughs> Right. Amazing. Okay. So it has to do then with your definition of practice. Right. And I imagine that Rubenstein's piano practice when he's in his 90s 
is completely different than the piano practice of a fourth grader who's taken piano lessons in their first year. The word yeah. practice has a different meaning and a different quality altogether. But in fact, I imagine that Arthur Rubenstein's p uh, piano practice every day is having a lot of fun. Yeah. He's playing the yeah. piano. He's not practicing the piano. We call it practice because he's playing. Okay, so right. that's the confusion. Now let's look at the words three ways. Okay, there is practice, there is performance, and then there is play. Practice is when you're working out all of the kinks and all of the mm -hmm. errors and everything like that, and we practice mm -hmm. over and over and over and over and over again, getting ready for our first recital. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the first recital. We sit down with butterflies in the stomach and parents and aunts and uncles and the parents and aunts and uncles of every student that that teacher has is out there in the audience, mm -hmm. even the piano teacher. And I come out on stage with these butterflies and I sit down and I play that piece of music that I have been practicing and practicing and practicing for weeks. And I'm very careful to make sure that I get it exactly right. I'm working at it. This is called a performance. But if I played that same piece of music every day for 90 years, then it's not going to be practicing anymore and it's not going to be performing anymore. I'm having a ball. I can play that. I can close right. my eyes. I can I can take a sip of water. Right. And do not lose it. OK, but in fact, um, uh, the story that I have this this, by the way, this story comes from uh, Dragnet. The television program years ago Please. about the Los yeah. Angeles piece with uh, Jack Friday. Mm -hmm. OK, so. This, the situation is, is that there's a piano bar and the guy's playing the piano at the bar. And a young woman, all dressed up to the nines, comes and leans on his piano while he's playing the piano. Now, he's a piano player that has been in the, the bars as a, a piano player for years and years. He's got a repertoire of maybe two or three hundred pieces he can play on demand. And she walks up and she's flirting with him. And he looks up and he starts to saying hi and he's good to go and all of that, but he doesn't miss a note on the piano. And then she leaves. And then later, Jack <laughs> comes in, <laughs> Jack Webb and his cohort, whichever one, depending upon the uh, uh, the age of the um, um, the series. And they start giving him a full interrogation, a police interrogation while he's still playing the piano. And he doesn't miss a note. Now, when he was doing that, having a conversation and playing the piano, was he practicing the piano? No. Was he performing? No. Was he playing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So now we're beginning to see the difference in these three things. So you asked me, do I practice anymore? The answer is, is that I play, but it's practice. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. The, would you say stream entry is like the first performance? No, not at all. Mm. No. Um, there, in Sutta number forty-eight, there is seven knowledges that that bring to the point of a sotapan, which means then that it's a process, and the process 
is broken down in, in the normal old Buddhist tradition of path and fruit. Mm-hmm. There's path and fruit of everything, path and fruit of the soda pond. And the first step on the path is when the student knows without a doubt that no matter how hindered the mind gets, he can throw that hindrance out and come back to the present moment. Now, that's a major step because that's not held by ordinary people. Ordinary people, when their mind wanders away, it's wandered. The Golanka students, when the mind wanders away, they know it and they feel bad. <laughs> right. When when the uh, uh, the entry to the path is, is that when the student recognizes, never mind, start again. Right. He knows that he can do that. He not only does he know that he can remember, but that he will remember. So that no matter how obstructed the mind gets, he can throw that stuff out and come back to the present moment. Right. Now, this is noble. This is a factor of the path. In fact, this is super mundane. And it is not held by ordinary people. Ordinary people, they don't have that, um, let us say, uh, confidence that I can solve every problem that my mind creates by throwing the problem back out. So that's the first step of Sotapan. Now, I won't go through, we don't have much time, and I won't go through all the seven stages, but the very first part of the path is a major accomplishment. So it's not like that first performance. Let us say that after the pianist has played maybe their first big concert with a backup of a a full city orchestra, where he's got a thousand people in the audience and it's on television. All the cameras, all the microphones, all the big important people in town are there. And he walks out right. on the stage with that confidence. I've got this wired. Right, right, right. Okay, so that's the soda pond. That's the soda pond. Okay. Okay. It's this Carnegie guy, Hall. It's Carnegie <laughs> Hall material. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. right. right. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And that just comes through practice. That just comes through comes the over and yeah. over again. You do it and you do it and you do it and you do it. And then finally you say, you know, I can do this. And then you do it and do it and do it some more. And then you say, oh, I'm right. getting good at this. And then you go and right. you go and you keep practicing and pre-practicing pretty soon. You say, wow, this stuff really works. I've got it. Right. Right. And that's the and, first step on the soda pond. Is that 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 feeling of I've got it. Right. And when you got that feeling of I've got it over and over and over, does that create first jhana, basically? Well, that's what we're actually doing is when we throw those right. unwholesome out of the mind, that's the introduction into the jhana. Right. Okay. So you have the removal of the hindrances which means now that you're having only wholesome thoughts, which means now those wholesome thoughts, you're talking yourself into having the body feeling relaxed and comfortable. And then we can talk the mind uh, to talk the feelings into feeling safe, secure, and comfortable. Because when we feel safe, secure, and comfortable, there's one more item on that, and that is to be feeling satisfied. Right. And once we practice safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied over and over again, then we get the idea that I can do this, and then we add success 
safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied, successful. But success is not the end of it. On the other side of success is wealth. I'm so mm. successful so much of the time that the Dhamma just, you know, just overflows. Right. It's sort of like a dam burst or a dam right. overflow. You know, right. anything the, the, you uh, put the, in just comes right back out over the, the other uh, side. Compound interest. Compound interest, right. The wealth. And this mm. is what we give to other people in the form of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, or friendship is your overflowing wealth of being safe, secure, happy, satisfied, and successful. Right. And then you become wealthy Beautiful. with being successful. Well, it's in the suttas. That stuff is actually in the suttas. You have to dig it out of the lexicons and places like that. But you see, in the time of the Buddha, people knew the definitions of the words. Now, every Buddhist word that comes by is both untranslated and ignorantly translated. Right. In other words, if I can't figure out what the word means, I'll make up something. Humans have been making stuff up for many, many centuries. That's where religions right. came from. I can imagine that uh, a couple of kids were sitting around the campfire with Uncle Billy way, way back when, before electricity and, you know, thousands of years ago. And they looked up and they saw the bright heavens in the sky with all of the stars because, I mean, it's like being at sea. Nowadays, most people can't see the kind of stars that you can see if there were no light pollution. So they look up and they see what a marvelous collection of stuff there is. And so those kids start asking Uncle Billy. And Uncle Billy makes up a bunch of crap. Those (laughs) kids hear it. They believe it. They tell it around. They keep telling it around, and a hundred years later, you got a religion. Right. It's called right. astrology. <laughs> right. right, totally. Oh, you see those group of stars out there? Never mind their connection in reality. We're going to make the correct connection and say those stars are Aquarius. Those stars totally. are Capricorn. Those stars, right. no, they're not. There is no Capricorn up there. <laughs> there is no Big Dipper. Though the stars right. that make up the Big Dipper are so different and so far apart that there's, you see, when we look up into the heavens, we see things two-dimensionally. But the actual universe is three-dimensional. And so when we look at Polaris, you can say that that's here. And the other part of the Big Dipper is on a star right here. No, it's not. It's out there someplace. (laughs) But the guy from over here, he looks at it and he says, oh, those two cars look like they're close together. Where in fact, one of them may be closer to the Earth than it is to the other star. But they look the same because of our perspective. There's another way of that. And that is, let's look at it from two different extremes that this person, let us say, a Republican, and this person, let us say, is a liberal, and that they're very, very far apart. So that anybody who comes and steps in between, when the Republican sees him, he looks in that direction, he says, oh, he's standing right beside the uh, the liberal, right. it's where the liberal is way over there. Right. But the Republican sees them together. Right. The Democrat or the, uh, um, the, liberal, the liberal will look and he'll see that this guy in the middle looks exactly like he's next door to the Republican. During right. fact, he's not at all. So right. both of them are making the uh, the observation with ignorance. 
the ignorance of the uh, the actual distance that we think because they appear close together that they actually are close together where in fact they're not. Right. So this whole perceptional issue is something that we begin now to start to question. Just because it looks like that doesn't mean that it is like that. Let's go actually investigate to see what it really is. So we can look at not just astrology, because astrology is, let's say, really stuck in the past. Really, really. I mean, it's hundreds of years old to where sure. modern astrology, sure. astronomy rather, tries to keep up. They want to know, but they still develop theories. And with the Hubble telescope, they had a whole bunch of ideas about what all of these new stars and everything meant. And they know about, uh, oh, uh, uh, expansion of the universe and uh, uh, big bangs and origins and things like that. Now they have the um, the James Webb that looks way out there. And what it sees is galaxies that are fully formed. But they're so far away that the probability is, is that, that that galaxy formed within a very short time of the formation of the universe. How could it be a fully formed galaxy? The answer to that is, is that, well, maybe we've got a, a mistake here. Maybe um, uh, uh, expansion doesn't work the way that we think it does. Maybe gravity doesn't work the way that we think it does. That in fact, we might have to redo our whole understanding of astrology based upon new data. Mm. And then we'll be able to understand the real universe better. Well, how is that different from meditation practice? It's exactly the same thing to where some people will get stuck in the past and stay in the past like astrology, right. uh, astronomy. Then astrology comes by and they have to keep adjusting to the reality of the new data. Right. That's Dhamma. That's right. what we're going to be doing. We're going to keep looking, keep investigating, keep putting up brand new uh, uh, James Webb telescopes in <laughs> right, right. And, ta and take a really good close look around so that we can see what reality really is and then we'll understand it better with good data. Right. But astronomy was done. I mean, astrology was done way back when they didn't have any data. And there are thousands of people, millions of people who still believe in it. Then, in fact, um, they will, uh, as, as almost a natural, um, a national uh, thing to do, is, is that when a child is born, they'll do the astrological charts. Sure. Yeah. They will also do, do them. When, when two people get married, they want to have an auspicious time, an auspicious day. And so they go to the astrologer to, uh, to do that out. Also, the newspapers, they'll have daily astrologies. They write books about astrology. The whole human yeah. race would be better off without astrology. It's a pile of crap. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this, because um, so I think for me personally, just my own experience, I have... I'm pretty good at like catching myself. I'm pretty good at gladdening the mind. Um, what what I maybe haven't nailed is like getting the insights. Forget about insights. Okay. Okay. Insights are grossly overrated. Okay. 
the word Vipassana doesn't even appear in the suttas except very occasionally. It happens so rarely that I can't even name one place except the translators will use the word Vipassana as section headers in the suttas where in fact the original sutta in the Pali didn't have that section header. And so it's the Western mind is all stuck up on Vipassana or insight to where Vipassana or insight was never mentioned by the Buddha. Then in fact, the only insight that you need is look at what you're doing right now. Right. That's the only insight that we need is look at what you're doing right now. And you'll get the insight right now from doing what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have to fight with Aunt Susie right now. She's out of the mind. She's not here. I don't have to fight with her. I can just sit here and relax. Okay. But that's not that's not insight. We already knew that. We already right. knew that I'm better off. But I can have that insight yet again in this present right. moment to wake up, take a look at what's going and see. Aha, the insight is thinking about the argument with Aunt Susie is unwholesome. Mm-hmm. But we already knew thinking about the argument with Aunt Susie was unwholesome. So where's the yeah. insight? No, it's just to remember to practice. It's just remembering. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So um, insight is highly overrated. Okay. That I would also go so far as to say that some people have tons and tons and tons of insights and they talk about it and they don't change. They just got in. Right, right. Right, right, right. Okay, then in fact, an insight almost by definition means something that is already gone. Maybe we should call it in seeing rather than in sight. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Right. Because the word sight is a past tense. Right, right. Right. In seeing is catching in the moment. Right now, right, to remember to look at what's happening right now. Yeah. as opposed to making up and telling us some story about something that's already happened. And, and that's common. That's that's commonly referred to as insight. But in fact, mm-hmm. you can't really practice Anapanasati without that waking up. And we can call that insight. The insight is just to never mind start again. The insight is, oh, I don't have to think about that. I can stop thinking about it and be happy. So the insights are the same insights, a few insights, but we do them over and over and over and over again. Okay, like uh, 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 little Tommy is walking through the house after school and mom says, it's time for you to practice piano. Well, that's an insight for him. He says, yeah, I got to go practice the piano. So. Like I said, in Western Buddhism, insights are highly overrated. Right. Okay. They even have meditations called insight meditation. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if the insight is don't walk in down the street in that direction because the manhole cover is open and you'll wind up in the sewer if you keep going in that direction. All right. That's the insight. But the insight meditation people, they see that open sewer and they keep walking right into it. Okay. So where's the insight right. of that? This is what the Mahasi method is to see that sewer that you're about to step in and then step in it anyway. Right, right. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so Got where's it. the insight in seeing the sewer if you're not going to do something about it? Right. Step out of the way. Right. Glad in the mind. Catch it. Glad in the mind. Catch it. Glad in the mind. Keep that's the little formula. Right. Never mind. Start again. Yeah. When the mind wanders away, never mind. Start again. Or aha, I see you, Myra. Mm -hmm. One little more story about that. Imagine that the farmer has to go visit his cows that are on the other side of the pasture. They're way down there. And so he knows where the cows are. And so he goes down in that direction. But he also knows that the cows may move around, changing their position. So he keeps his eyes on where the cows are so that he'll be sure to get there. And along the way, he is covered in cow pie. Because he's not watching where he is going. He's yeah. watching where he wants to be. So one farmer just watches the cows and he's covered with crap. The other one is watching each step that he takes. And he's clean when he gets there because he didn't step in any of the cow pies. Okay. So where's the insight? Is the insight of knowing where the cows are on the other side of the pasture? Or is the insight watching this step to not step in the cow pie? Right. Got it. Right. <laughs> okay. Like I said, insight meditation is highly overrated. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know because I've, always wondered why I've never gotten that, you know? Well, the insight doesn't get you to stop stepping in the crap. Right. This is the Eightfold Noble Path, the point about right, noble effort. Right. Is to wake up, take a look at what you're doing. Mahasi ends there. So to wake up again and take a look, wake up and take a look, wake up and see the crap, wake up and see more crap, wake up and see a ton of crap, wake up and walk right into the sewer. Wake up and see. And pretty soon, after a while, the people realize that they're living in the city dump of their own mind. Duka, duka, everywhere. Okay. But that's only half of the path. The Buddha's Eightfold Noble Path is wake up, take a look at what you're doing, and then make a change. Don't step on that cow pie now that you see it. Make right. the effort to move your foot out of the way. And then when you get all the way over to the cows, you can look down and say, hey, I'm clean. I didn't step in any cow pies all the way over here. Congratulations. You know, I'm successful. I got to the other side of the pasture without being covered in crap. Right. So those are the four parts of the Eightfold Noble Path. To wake up, take a look of where you're about to step. Don't step there and stay <laughs> clean for a while. Right. right. Stay clean for Right. right, noble effort is the key. So I don't care how many insights you have. If you don't take the effort, right. what's the value of the insight? Right. Okay. So in the meantime, and, and so maybe maybe I'll call again soon to discuss um, just the meditation itself, like the okay. Because uh, I, right. I got a few I got a few wrinkles, but. Uh, all right. Okay. But this so has been. We can do that right now, but I'd be happy to, to go into depth. All right. You're just sitting there, called meditation, and then a thought comes, and you say, Aha, I see that thought, and I don't have to think about that. Here's an example of that long time sitting. When's the bell going to ring? I mean, of course you've done that. I sure. wish this session was over. I'd like the bell sure. to ring. Yeah. Okay. So 
instead of having the thought, I want the bell to ring, we can say, hey, the bell hasn't rung yet. I'm having fun now. So we change that thought from when's the bell going to ring so that I'll feel better. I can feel better right now. The bell is not the, the issue. Right. We don't have to wait for the bell for the meditation to be over. It's over as soon as you change your mind. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So that don't worry sense. about when the bell is going to ring. Worry about this next breath right here, right now. Don't, I mean, the bell is off into the future. Let's right. enjoy this moment. The bell yeah. will ring when it rings. Right. The bell is not my business, says the meditator. My my yeah. business mm-hmm. is to be happy right now. Right. To wake up to take a look at the I want the bell to ring. I don't need the bell to ring. I'm just fine right now. I don't need that bell. Right. And that's that's the practice over and over again. Whatever that you want, you can say, wait a minute, I don't have to have that right now. Mm-hmm. I can be happy instead without it. Right. That's the basic practice. You keep doing that over and over again, and pretty soon you begin to really feel good because you're mm-hmm. not creating any trouble. And it all happens right here, right now. Wake up, wake up, see what's happening. Okay, well, let's let's finish the conversation about the actual practice a little later. But you've got it basically. The real Anapanasati practice is based um, upon the four noble truths. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see you. So I didn't mean to I didn't mean to cut you off there. So I didn't mean to cut you off. Thank you. So okay. helpful. Very clarifying. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Mike, we'll see you later. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.